0: the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped.
1: She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense.
2: All right, here we are. Here we are. We got a quick one to do today. I'm Kim. And that one over there, Suzanne. I'm Suzanne. That makes me Stephanie. That's right. That's right. And we are yeah. the Pragmatic Doulas. Yeah. And we are all dealing with a whole bunch of stuff right now, but we love you and we want to give you information and we want to support you. So. Mm-hmm. We've got, we've cobbled together some time um, to, uh, to get this get done. Get this done. That's yeah. right. And
0: right. I am coming to you from
2: uh, beautiful Nova
0: Scotia, Canada, where the fall colors are freaking me out. Nice. I'll tell you that.
2: Gorgeous. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm so, sorry. yes, we've got Suzanne in another, in another province. We got mm-hmm. Stephanie dealing with electricians and home mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we're
0: coming to you through the magic of technology. Look at that.
2: Isn't that great? I mean, this is this is why for virtual doulas, you can support people anywhere at around the world. Anywhere, right? That's right. Yep. That's yep, right. yep. So that's so cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me do the land acknowledgement and we can jump into things. All right. All right. I would like to recognize and acknowledge the land upon which I live, raise my children, work, support birthing parents, and support my family members, is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Ashinabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis peoples. While a land acknowledgement is not enough, it is an important social justice and decolonial practice that promotes Indigenous visibility and is a reminder that we are on settled Indigenous lands. Let this land acknowledgement be an opening for all of us to contemplate a way to join in Indigenous movements for sovereignty and self-determination. All right. Awesome. Beauty. All right. So... Because we have a limited time frame today, um, I got to take my kid to school and Suzanne's got to leave in less than an hour. Um, All right. And I'm going to
1: Scarborough to go for a power walk with Miss Lisa
0: Karen. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell her I said hello. Yes.
1: I would do so. We're going to hit the other end of the bluffs today. Cool. Excellent.
2: Cool, Mm -hmm. cool. All right. (laughs) So today we are talking about prenatals and Mm -hmm. what, I mean, I think we've seen since COVID started, um, prenatals have maybe taken on partly a new look, a new aspect of it. When you're doing virtual support, the prenatals are now a lot more teaching of how the partner can support. I mean, I think when we did prenatals before, for in-person, it was, you know, well, it's okay. I don't need to show them all of this because I'm going to be there. I don't need to, you know, demonstrate a whole lot because I'm going to be there. But Mm -hmm. now that there's a lot more virtual work being done, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really a lot of, you know, education to make the partner a doula. Um, But even with in-person support now, so I had a, I had a question with those doing in-person support and i have not done any in-person support and nor do i plan on doing any more but do you do in-person prenatals or do you do virtual prenatals or do you do a combination of both if you especially if you have more than one
0: you mean as it stands right now
2: yeah as as we stand right now um well
0: well, i'll answer first steph if you don't mind (laughs) Um, at this point where I am still trying to navigate my way towards the future of what my birth work is going to look like, I'm still doing kind of both. I am discussing with my clients right at the beginning, when we first start working together, how things are going to look. So I have been doing a combination of in-person and virtual. And I can tell, I can got to tell you that my heart is leaning always towards virtual. And it's only because I accepted these clients when I wasn't sure when I was pretty sure, actually, I was pretty sure that I was going to be moving back to in person. So we didn't have any firm decisions made at that time. And I left it open. So now with the, those clients, I'm saying, how are you feeling? Do you want to do it this way? Do you want, and I've been having people saying both. So I've been, I've been doing both, both virtual and um, with the folks who are very far away that I accepted when I thought it was all going to be virtual, um, I have said to them, we're doing virtual. I'm, I'm, I'm not driving a new market. No. <laughs> oh, hell so, no. <laughs> not, so with those folks, I have been doing virtual and, um, but for the people who are close by, I've Okay, I'll do in person. Moving forward, though, I have made a firm decision that as of like January first, twenty twenty two, that's it. It's going to be all virtual for me. So all new clients that I get after that, that that those are the parameters that I'm laying out.
2: Excellent. Cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And how do you feel about that decision? You good with it?
0: Fantastic. <laughs>
2: awesome. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Steph? Because you're you're still doing in person. You've got, you're quite busy, actually, aren't you? I
1: am quite busy. And I, for as much as I am, you know, I'm I'm having that feeling around being at births in person that is not a hundred percent awesome. Whatever that feeling is, I haven't been able to define it yet. In-person prenatals and in-person post, like the follow-up visit, not doing full-on postpartum work. That's not my jam, but the follow-up like third day infant feeding visit kind of make sure all your questions are answered type thing. I am loving doing that in person. And yeah. I am loving doing prenatals in person. However, only about 50% of my clients want in-person prenatals because it's, it's, it's part of the discussion now. It's not a default that yeah. it is one way or another. It's always part of the discussion. So we start out with what are you most comfortable with? And honestly, some of the clients, make it makes total sense in doing prenatals that were leading up to your time of birth they are being very conscious to limit the amount of people they are exposed to prior to going into the hospital. Because in some hospitals, if you come in and um, and the hospital happens to be testing the birthing person at the time, and it comes back positive, then... Um, now, I don't believe they're doing any rapid tests here in Toronto anymore, but if it comes back that the birthing person is, is positive, then you can't have any support people. So yeah. I know. Um, so it is right now people are just being very, very conscious to limit their exposure to people leading up to their birth because they don't want anything to screw with, um, yeah. to screw with their ability to have support people at the time. So they're most certainly happy to have, um, to, to have virtual prenatals.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, that's, that's so interesting. It I never thought about, you know, Trying to limit your exposure before you go into hospital. I mean, I limit my exposure to the nth degree. <laughs> my life is so <laughs> my life is so between these four walls. It's kind of crazy. It's Sorry, funny. honey. You're... Yeah, Yep. I don't know. Uh, no, I can't hear you. You're not muted, but how weird. All right. Is it my earphones? Oh, there we Can go. You hear me yep. Now? I can hear you now.
0: Falling out a little bit or something. Okay.
2: All right. Look at you all. Look at you all technical with your earbuds. Look at that. Um, What were you saying?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't hear you. I was saying um, some of us are just limiting our exposure to everybody in general. It's not just, and, and it's very forward thinking for those birthing people to be thinking, you know what in two months we don't want to jeopardize our support so let's like keep our circle really tight right now that's that i mean and then there are other people who are still out there having showers and (laughs) two showers and all of that so
2: yeah 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 Mm -hmm. so How many, I mean, I know when, when I started doing, when I started doing doula work was like three prenatals, you know, and, you know, we didn't have, because we didn't have, you know, this was 15 years ago. We didn't necessarily have, you know, I still had a flip phone, um, the technology for, um, you know, doing support virtually or, you know, over the phone or texting and things like that. Um, But how many prenatals do we do now? Like I do one. Well, no, I try to do two since they're virtual. I try to do two. One is birth planning. So we sit down and plan out the birth and all of that. And then the second one is focused on comfort measures and helping to teach and and go over their own personal, you know, ways of sorry, losing my voice all this crying I've been doing, um, uh, you know, managing their own discomfort and, and what their plans are, you know, based on sort of their pain management and things like that. But do you guys do one or two prenatal visits? I know you don't do three. I mean, that's just, that feels crazy. Now, Steph, Steph, what do you do?
1: Um, so I do if I'm working with a virtual client, also, I do two. If I'm working with an in-person client, I do one. And okay. the, re- the reason is, is that, so again, like you said, many moons ago, when we all started this deal, um, all questions were saved up to have these kind of two big conversations, all the important things, all the things that excited you, all the things that concerned you, all came to these big conversations where we got comfortable with one another and heard about what you thought about birth and what your experiences were and what stories you'd heard and what you want it to look like. And it was saved up for those two meetings. And it's not like that anymore because now everything is is available by text or by calling. And my clients feel free to now, and this is what I, I encourage them as well, to call or text me if something pops up and like, you know, we're not doing two prenatals because you can call or text me now at any given time with yeah. questions. Yeah. Um, so I, because of that, we have like one big birth planning slash dinner or lunch slash, you know, what are you scared of? What are you excited for? Who's help coming to help you out? Like kind of like, it's a big jaw wag about all the things that they're expecting, fearful of, looking forward to. And then outside of that, we might talk after you go to your doctor's appointment or, so I had a great call yesterday with a client who was um, experiencing some white coat syndrome oh. um, after having some scary things happen earlier in her pregnancy. And every time she goes to the doctor, her blood pressure goes up, but when it's at home, it's fine. So we went over, we had a great call, about how do I go into this and not have high blood pressure? Cause it's fine. As soon as I get home, I'm like, well, who makes you laugh? She said, Will Farrell. I said, so go in and pretend your doctor's Will Ferrell talking to you. <laughs> he called me on the way home. And she's like, you wouldn't believe how low my blood pressure was. It was so That was good. a great
0: plan. That's a great suggestion. <laughs> that's weird. So
1: for those things, you know, you can yeah. call me to talk you through preparing. And I think that um, and because of that, I never I don't feel like the second get together is necessary is necessary anymore. And that's just how I run it.
0: Yeah. And clearly you run it well because it's (laughs) it's working for you. I have always done two, and I continue to do two. Um, The first one is always, like you said, stuff like that. What did you call it? A jaw wag? Yes. (laughs) It's like that. Um, If it's in person, I used to do it over dinner. I felt it was a time for us to formally and thoroughly get to know each other, you know? clients potential clients can contact you through email or some other means and agree to work with you but people in my class or whatever and that first meeting is a way for me to connect with them where we talk about i ask people like how did you guys meet how long have you lived here why did you choose to live in this neighborhood Blah, blah blah that kind of stuff um what stories have you heard about birth what was your mother's birth experience like? What was your mother's birth experience like? How do you feel about birth in general? What have you seen on the media and movies and TV shows about birth? How do you, How has that influenced your expectations of your birth experience, your upcoming birth experience and so on? We might talk about some really specific things that they may want to consider. For instance, <clears throat> if uh, there are people who um, were in my class, which means they've heard the whole discussion about epidural and asked, I would talk to them about that, about their, their intention about medicated, unmedicated, why they're thinking that way, things they might want to consider if they're undecided and all of that. At the end of that meeting, I like to feel like we have like a really much tighter connection and um, have a really full idea of what direction they're facing in. All they want to have like a completely unmedicated birth with candles and music and whatever at home in the tub and blah, blah, blah. Or hmm, they want to get an epidural as soon as they get to the hospital and that's that or whatever, whatever the situation is, we talk about, that's what that discussion is about. And then a second meeting is about comfort measures where we talk about relaxation and breathing, positioning, and all of the things that we might use during, like all of the things that we want to have in our toolbox when that day happens. So we practice like the bubble hip squeeze. And if it's in person, I sh- you know, we talk about um, uh, like we'll go to the back. We practice all of those things actually, right? Like practice different positions and things like that. And if it's virtual, then it's mostly a discussion, not a lot of practicing. If I'm not going to be there, if I'm going to be supporting virtually, then a lot of the discussion is about the partner and how the partner is going to um, be, be sort of be the support and the coach for the day. And we talk about the day. What's going? When you start feeling contractions, what happens? And when do you call me? So we talk about Labor Day and what Labor Day is going to look like, and um, and all of that. So I've thought about condensing it into one meeting. Mm.
2: I just can't do it. And also it feels it's a annoying. lot. Like if you're <laughs> doing it virtual, it feels a lot in to do it in just one.
0: Oh yeah. If it's virtual, I cannot do it because I can't be on a virtual thing for after two hours. I really start to like space out. Um <laughs>
2: try doing do, try for? doing a 10 to 3 prenatal class. I want to shoot myself. <laughs> what the
0: hell? Ha- I, I thought about it and I decided I can't do it. So I know, I that's why No, that's why I do, them. <laughs> can't do it.
1: So here's a question. Have you guys found yourself in a prenatal going into your first prenatal and shocked to find that your client has not taken a prenatal class?
2: Personally, no, no, because they're coming from my prenatal class. Yeah. Right. So I have
0: always, almost always they're coming from the prenatal class. So, yeah, Mm
2: -hmm. but I, I, to to be quite honest, I would be shocked. Yeah. And I would almost insist that they please take the prenatal class. I will, I will squeeze you in if I can to, to one of my classes, because I just think there's too much to know and understand and hash out that can't be done in two, you know, one to two hour prenatals. I mean, these are classes for a reason, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. So But then I I had that shock, I guess, just a couple months ago, or maybe it was about six months ago, um, when I was the primary uh partner for a single person having their first baby. And when we had spoken at the beginning of their pregnancy, it was, you know, here's all the resources, here's the classes, here's literally like a booklet, because they were a single person very busy with their career, very busy with many things. And so I literally gave them the breakdown of where to go for this, this and this, and this is what we do before we get together to do birth planning or get together to do do prenatals and stuff. So I was very surprised to walk in and find out that not only am I the only primary partner for this person during their, their labor and delivery and afterward, but that they had not taken a prenatal class. They decided that they didn't need it because they had me. And I made the executive decision in that moment to also not give them a prenatal class in that meeting. I said I can't even try I can't even try. So we just really broke it down to the simpl- most simplistic things about when are we heading to the hospital? When do you want me to come here? And um and I mean it ended up turned it turned out just fine. There was quite a- there was some stress when things were starting up but afterwards, one of the first things that they shared with me when I went to see them after the baby was born is I really should have taken that prenatal class. Yeah, (laughs) because everything was so foreign, not really. The the biggest concern was not understanding why certain things were happening in the order they were happening Um, and not so much with their labor, but with how staff reacted to different parts of their labor um, knowing that, and these were things that we covered, but you guys know how baby brain is. I know how baby brain is. Um, you know, just the simple thing of being reminded that you needed an IV in order to get an epidural and that feeling quite traumatic in the moment. Um, because it it really hadn't been reinforced. I'd shared that with them, but because they hadn't taken a class, they hadn't really absorbed a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, those, those those prenatals can be shocking when you find out that your client has not actually taken a prenatal class.
0: I mean, one of the things that I think is important, one of the big benefits of prenatal education is because it allows you to know kind of in, in a very basic rudimentary way, what, what, what to expect, right? right? Like everybody wants to read what to expect when you're expecting. But prenatal class prepare you for exactly things like that. Oh, if you're going to get an epidural, you also need to have an IV. Oh, if you're GBS positive, then this and this is going to happen. And and that is what I feel my prenatal classes do for the people in my class, is it prepares them for what to expect so that they're not like, oh my God, what is that? It prepares them for the process. They know that after this comes this. Well, they should know if they're listening and paying attention, then... But when you don't have that basic education, I show up on on, on our first prenatal, and I have a document that I use to kind of guide the conversation. They didn't even know what electronic fetal monitoring is. They don't even know what that is. If they've never taken a prenatal class or they haven't done any education, And so they don't have to take a class. But if they've done their own learning and educating on their own, that's fine too. Yep a lot of people read a lot of books and educate themselves in other ways. But if you are just like, I don't know, they don't know how the process of labor works. Um, and you can tell based on the questions that people ask how little knowledge or how much knowledge they have. So it, it is to me, it's ideal if they already have that under their belt before we have that first before we have our first prenatal meeting cuz there's a baseline of knowledge that we can build on and i don't have to spend so much time doing the educating during that first prenatal which which i don't think is the best use of that time no right oh no. yeah
2: i mean i always look at uh, similar to what you just said but i also see that my prenatal classes as a way of you know removing some fear like removing the, the crazy stories that they've been given through, you know, Hollywood and their friends and all of this stuff and try to get it down to, Hey, you know what? It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to, you know, um, refuse things. It's okay to accept things. It's okay, you know, to here's, here's what to expect, as you say. And Let's not be afraid of these things so that when you do go into labor, you're not going in with a heightened sense of anxiety, which can really throw off your labor process off the rails. Um, yeah. And you know what? It's funny. Just before I started speaking, I had this like really great epiphany in my head about what I was going to say. And then I said this one thing and now I can't remember what the fuck I was talking about. So God damn it. God damn it I hate my brain. <laughs> Oh, don't get old. Yeah,
1: yeah just don't like three o'clock in the morning. It. You're gonna send a message to our, our chat and say, "Here's what the fuck it was." I remember now.
2: Well, I but I'm know. putting
0: it here so that I don't forget it overnight again. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think the other important part of these prenatals and what really is driven home often is that so much has been lost. We, you know, you guys mentioned you know coming into it with knowledge. So you can really enjoy the prenatals and understand where people are at, but so much has been lost in that we don't understand the normal physiologic birth or the or even just normal physio- physiology of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned undoing some of the really horrible stories people have heard. I find sometimes I'm even including just recently, and I think I shared this with you guys, um, undoing the wrongness of of the of some of the physiology that's being shared I had a client who was told well some people just don't go into labor by a care provider and it's like well mm-hmm. no that's not how it works you do <laughs> go into labor it just means you haven't gone into labor by 41 weeks but everybody goes into labor um at some point yes at Some point yes. you will so mm-hmm. I and and that it was so This is because we haven't seen birth. We don't experience it in our communities. Um, We experience it on television where it's been glorified one way or the other. Glorified. Glorified. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, And it all
2: occurs in one hour or 30 minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's a full lack of knowledge. Like there's, they truly believe, and I've heard it more than one time, that you. Some people just don't go into labor. So I'll probably have to be induced at 41 weeks and I'm hearing it more and more. So I'm really enjoy before those messages get to my clients using the prenatals to go over, here's the normal physiology of pregnancy and birth. And there's how it happens. And there's a lot that we still don't understand, but that this will come upon you at some point. And here's why it happens and such. And we just kind of touch on the fascinating bits of biology so that if that message comes up, my clients will question it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I like that they will question it because it's not true.
2: (laughs) Honest to God. I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's good to have a questioning mind. I think it's good to, you know, and, and when I do, I mean, when I do prenatals and things like that, I always try and coach it as, you know, like, look, here are your options Let's discuss, like, do you have questions about, you know, let's talk about vaginal exams. This is what potentially could happen. This is, you know, this is what to expect, but what are your thoughts and feelings on that? Like, I try not to and I'll be honest, I did not do this in the beginning when I was a first doula. When I was a when I was a brand new doula, I was like, okay, so you're gonna ha- you're gonna want you know no vaginal exams before you know going into labor. You're gonna want you know none of this. You're gonna want to do X, Y, Z. And I would always like lead them down these paths. And it's like because I'm the expert, they would you know, oh yeah, yeah, let's do that. But now through now through like putting, um, you know growing as a doula and, you know, understanding people's, you know, thoughts and processes and things like that. It's like, yeah, no, now I got to stop doing that. I've got to, this is their birth. This is not my birth. This is their birth and how they feel about this birth. That is the key and how they feel supported. That is the key. It isn't the end result necessarily. It is how they felt. Do they feel like they were the, the director of this process? Do they feel like they were the ones that made the decisions? Cause that is huge when it comes to birth and how they actually remember the experience. And so, trauma. right. It
1: comes to whether it affects them traumatically or not. So if you stay in that curious mindset and open to information and asking questions from curiosity, then you're much more likely to feel like you're engaging in consultation with your care providers versus blindly believing or and if you're and you if you stay curious then you ha- you feel like you're able to ask those questions and not feel like you're questioning your doctor feel like you're asking questions of your doctor yeah you know what i mean and those yeah. are two very different feelings around engaging with your care providers
2: oh exactly exactly
0: i i really Um, I appreciate what you just said, Kim, because it's so true that I now feel like my, when I go to my prenatals, I feel much more of an educator, an impartial objective educator, much more so than in the early years of my birth work, where I felt the a weight of responsibility to somehow in some, I thought I was being objective and impartial, but I was not some, some (laughs) way. Yeah. To, like you said, lead them down a path of what I wanted them to have the birth experience that I thought was good for them. And, and so we don't even a lot of the time want to admit how our language, our body language, and the words we use and the tones we use influences the clients that we're with, which, okay, so some of it is unavoidable, but I have to admit to myself that at, back then, I honestly and truly would say things in a certain way
2: mm-hmm.
0: to so that my clients would lean toward-
2: Yes, yes.
0: Now, I don't even have a desire for that anymore. And mm-hmm. I will even go out of my way to, to tell them about my tr- neutrality, speaking to my clients about my neutrality, and my commitment to supporting whatever they decide to do. It's so important for me to communicate that to them, especially during the prenatals. And it, that was not a thing before. So now when, mm-hmm. when I have a discussion about epidurals, I feel like I have a really and truly information sharing discussion with them as opposed to uh, a, a discussion that would lead them away from, I would still give them all the same information and content is the same, but it is the way that I present the information now has absolutely changed. And I, I'm, I emphasize that with a lot of like the doula men, men that I've, talked to over the last year or so. We spent a lot of time talking about that because a lot of new doulas don't want to admit that that's a thing. I would, I would never have said that that's a thing that I'm trying to lead my clients to have a birth experience that I want. I would never have admitted that in yeah. year one, two, three, four, five, even, but I know for a fact that it's true, that it is a thing and your prenatals, that is where it will, it will show up. Yeah, because that's when doing the most like formal talking.
2: Uh, I'll be honest, when when I first realized sort of what I was doing, because I mean, a few years ago was like, you know, we started talking about, you know, this isn't your birth and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, before it was, you know, this is the best birth and this is the best birth. And I got called out one time for for saying that I thought, you know, cesarean birth was wrong and evil which I did not say. Um, But that, that, that was a whole thing. That person, I think, really did not hear anything I actually, the words I actually said. However, I think they did hear the tone in the words that I said, and they interpreted what I said. And it came to me at that point that I was like, shit, you know what? Yeah. Like, it started me looking at the way I talk. It started me looking at the way I use words. It started me looking at the way I do my prenatals. I was like, no, you know what? That's not right. Like, that's not right. And that was the point where I started like, okay, no. So instead of saying, so are you going to have an epidural? Hmm? um you know it's like so what are your thoughts on pain management let's talk about how yes. you want to manage your labor right there's,
0: a, there's such a difference in that there's so much it, it sounds so subtle but saying so and look at my face if you say so are you going to have an epidural yeah as opposed to saying <laughs> what, are right? your, what are your thoughts about pain management during labor
2: yeah that's very, very,
0: very different
2: I want to, I want to know where, where you are in this process. I want to know what your thoughts are. And then if they say, you know, well, you know, blah, 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 or, or they say, well, what do you think? Like, okay, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter what I think, Um, but it matters about what your thoughts and feelings are. And my role is to support what your thoughts and feelings are and to best get you to that point as, you know, with what we have available. Like, though that's my job.
0: So just one more quick example. I have um, somebody in my class actually talked to me after class uh, the other day and uh, they're having discussions with their care provider about inducing at 39 weeks because they um, something showed up on the ultrasound that the doctor said is most very, very li- un- unlikely to be a problem. Uh, But now the birthing person is super anxious and is trying to decide. And so the the doctor offered induction at 39 weeks to alleviate this anxiety. Let's get this baby born earlier. So you don't have to wait till going into labor on your own. You might be waiting, you know, like two more weeks after that or whatever. That was the doctor trying to um, be compassionate to the birthing person's mental, which is not something I would have, I would never have couched it that way. The doctor wants you to get induced at 39 weeks. Yeah. And, and so what I, she said, the birthing person, the person who, uh, was talking to me said that they had done a lot of reading about inductions and she's worried about, she's trying to make a decision about whether to get induced at 39 weeks <clears throat> because in her research and reading, it, she found out that 20 to 25 percent of all inductions end up in a cesarean section right this is what she said old me would have said yeah that's true so <laughs> <laughs> so you need to decide whether or not um getting induced at 39 weeks is worth the risk of uh that 20 25 percent chance of induction honestly because <laughs>
2: what was that? Yeah. Put put your earbuds back in.
1: It sounded like a fart.
2: Oh no, no, we literally can't hear you now. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was just, uh, it was just static. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Can't hear a word you're saying. <laughs> and it was such a good point. I know she was, I was all over it. No, now we, we actually can't hear you. You'll have to change the output of your speaker. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel the dead air. Oh, can you hear me now?
1: Can you hear me now?
2: No, I cannot. Oh. Damn it. No. Oh, now. wait. Oh, it's. Static. It's static. Each word is a static. Okay, so
0: then I don't know how to turn that off.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> now it's
0: robots, it's Suzanne. Vader. <laughs> God, we were going so well. Oh, God.
2: Ah, oh, okay. I don't know how to turn it off. <laughs> I don't know how to. Um, if you go down go down to where it says um the little speaker thing and it'll tell you can select the microphone for a different microphone um, as opposed to your earbuds
1: okay so we'll talk amongst ourselves while Suzanne does that so what I was gonna I was gonna add to that again it's so much in that language is when I talk about pain management with um, my clients I often hear them use phrases like I want to just experience some labor and then I'll give up and get the epidural when um, when I feel like I need it and, or I'll, I'll, I'll labor until I need the epidural. And I really feel like in those prenatals, I need to turn around that thought process. I'm like, you're, you're not stopping labor. You're, we're still, we still got work to do. And it's like getting, getting an epidural simply changes how we're doing it. It just means yeah. we're primarily from the bed. Yeah. That yeah. Dog, I said, we're, trust me, every 30 minutes, you're going to get that first stretch of sleep that you need. And then every 30 minutes, I'm going to be poking you to change positions. And we're going to use that peanut ball and we're going to use throne position. And you're still an active participant in your, in your, the rest of your labor, because you have an epidural doesn't mean we've taken your labor away from you. We've just changed how we're doing it. So exactly. I, I don't want people and I find people. Use that terminology, and I think especially maybe with us as doulas, they assume that we don't want them to get it. So they use words like, "Oh, I'll give up and get it," or "I'll labor until I can't." It's like, well, you're still going to be laboring. You are still, even if you don't have an epidural, your body is still laboring. Yeah. Which means keeping you feeling comfortable, keeping you feeling loved, keeping you feeling nurtured keeps that oxytocin flowing, and so it's as important for your partner to stay close to you and rest his head on the bed and get you and nurture you and bring you water and do the things that make you feel love mm-hmm. so that your labor moves forward. Yeah. Just changes how we do it. And so, and really taking that whole giving up idea off the table during those prenatals, because getting an epidural is not giving up. It's just changing how we're doing it.
2: Well, and that's, sorry. I just
0: wanted to make sure you guys can hear me now.
2: We can hear you now. Yay. All right. Do you, you want take, to finish I, that? I have huh? to
0: take those earbuds are so they're so controlling. I had to take them and move them way far away from my computer. <laughs> so they so basically, basically. So my computer microphone hit back in.
2: Oh, um, that's hilarious.
0: I wanted to finish what finish yes. what I was saying because I wanted to say I wanted to say what I said to that client, who said, in her reading, she found out that inductions. 20 25% of inductions end up in c section right and my old me would have said yeah that's true so you have to think about that really hard thinking that that's a neutral thing to say thinking that that's an objective thing to say so what i said to her was mhm that is those numbers are correct at the same time the flip of those numbers is also correct 80% of inductions Eight, 75 to 80% of inductions end up in a straightforward vaginal birth. Yep. So there's that too. So now you have those two numbers that give you an, a whole picture to look at for you to make your decision. She said, oh, I, I never thought of it that way. And I said, yes. So think of it that way. Think about the whole picture before you make your decision. So this is also not my client, by the way, This was just right, yeah. asking a question, but that's the kind of that's kind of change in language, change in perspectives that I have now that I bring to prenatals that I didn't used to have before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and that's just it. Right. I always say, and I always tell my classes, like, look, stuff is going to happen and you're going to be told something, but we have to remember that. That's just one piece of an entire picture. That's one piece of the puzzle. There's so many more pieces of the puzzle that we have to look at, especially when we talk about, you know, feeding baby and baby afterwards and all of that stuff. Like we have to look at the whole thing in order to make the best decision. We can't necessarily make decisions based on one item. We have to ask questions to get the rest of the pieces. And that helps. In making better decisions that helps in making decisions that are best for that individual person, because just because, you know, somebody else would say, yeah, but still 80% vaginal birth, oh, that 20% is still, you know, crazy for me. And I really just don't think I want to do it. And that yeah. is their decision. 100%. They had all the pieces. They looked at the information. They used their grown up adult brains and they made the decision that was best for that individual. We have to remember that, especially as doulas, we do hold a certain amount of power. And I don't, we have to be careful with that. We have to be careful with how we express things and how we say things and how we couch things because it's not about us. And, we, and their doctors are already holding so much sway over them, and we can't be that opposite sway pushing them in the other direction. We have to be that neutral person to help them come up with the best decision for them themselves. And if they choose to have that induction or they choose not to have that induction or they choose to have the cesarean or they choose not to, That was their decision that didn't have anything to do with us. We laid before them all the pieces of the puzzle and they put that puzzle picture together and they came up with the vision of what their birth was going to look like. And that, I think, I think previously, I don't know how it is now. Like, let's be honest. I'm not, I am so far removed from the mix these days. I've sort of gotten myself out of um, doula Facebook groups and shit like that because I'm so sick of the fucking bullshit that happens in them um, particularly one. Um, but the, I think in the past, you know, we were always kind of like leading clients towards a certain thing and we were like, Oh, doctors are out to be evil and blah, blah, blah. But I don't necessarily think that anymore. And I don't know what, I don't know what's going on in sort of the doula world per se but I know how I want to practice being a doula. I know how I want to be as a doula. I want to be that support person for them to support their vision. And that's what I'm going to do. And I don't care what anybody else has to say. I don't care about any of that. Let's. I'm going to focus on each individual client as an individual person, and take that, take it as it goes. And those prenatals are going to form what that relationship is going to look like. And those prenatals are going to suss out what that individual person needs. And it'll be different from maybe the next client and the next client and the next client. So I don't know, I'm rambling now. And
0: that's, and that's why I don't feel like I can ever reduce my prenatals from two to one, because ah. actually, being objective and neutral and presenting the whole picture to your clients takes longer in my opinion
2: yeah. it takes it really time
0: does. Yeah. it takes longer if i already knew people were planning a home birth unmedicated home birth all of that it is, it's easier to just talk about those elements of that particular situation, but when people are open, they don't know if they want to take an epidural, they don't know what they feel about induction, they don't know how they feel about all of these things, to remain neutral and to provide them with the information so that they can find them where they fit inside of those areas takes more time. Yeah. Because when that person said to me, oh, inductions, 20, 25% end up in C-section, I could have said, yeah, that's true. So you need to be worried about that or careful about that or whatever. And that would have been it. Yeah. But presenting the other side and saying, look at this side too, put them together. And then you see this, this is how it is. That takes more time.
2: And then in your prenatal, if, if they were your client and in your prenatal, you would have said, okay, now let's talk about how you feel about that. Yes, Right. And then that's a discussion just on one element of the birth, like one tiny element. That's only about
0: induction. It's not about anything else. No, Mm -hmm. exactly.
2: And, and then that's why I do too. Yeah. And, and really doesn't that, you know, because you're sitting there and you're sitting down with your client and you're getting to know them and you're getting to know their thoughts and feelings, you're getting to know where their head is and where their heart is about their birth and you're getting to, you know, understand, what their, what their thought process is, doesn't that make you a better doula and a better, you know, support person because you are looking at them as an individual and an individual birthing person and an individual experience for them, Mm -hmm. you know, other than a doctor is like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. Okay. We'll see you on your induction date. Bye. You know? Yeah that that's where that continuity of care that's where that personalization comes in that's where you know the birth concierge comes in right because we are doing things that are specific to that individual and making Mm -hmm. their experience individual yes
1: and that is often where I will do a second prenatal in person or virtually as if an induction is coming up um because I think that often many clients are prepared for what they see on TV, their waters break, they go into labor, they expect it to be intense. Like they kind of expect those things, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that many people pay attention or act, it's like people who don't pay attention to the C-section part of a prenatal class and they don't expect it'll happen to them. Um, So I find that even if we've discussed induction, even if they've been to a prenatal class, when induction is on the table, that is when I'll say, hey, if your induction is coming up, um, you've chosen induction, something's happening, you know, let's have another chat about what you can expect the day of. Um, And again, it just kind of really, really reinforces all those things about what, what to expect when you first walk in the door, right to the options that are available, right to continuing to be curious and asking questions so that you don't feel like, um, and we've all had clients express this, once they've gotten in the door, they feel like they're just kind of pushed along this assembly line. And and they're not offered enough information to feel like they're all in this together. They feel like they're being pushed through a system mm-hmm. on an assembly line, like, like an article of clothing or something. Um, it's having yeah. a button sewn onto them each time they pass hand to hand. So having them understand what each part of that process is it really helps them maintain and feel comfortable understanding until such time that I'm allowed to join them at least because yep. right, as of right now, um, until labor has begun, like literally meaning Pitocin has begun um, and we're not allowed to join people Yeah, where there has to be an, an established pattern of labor before another person is allowed to join the client. And that's simply because they want to minimize the amount of people in a room at any given time and before there's an established pattern of of labor of contractions there's more people in, in and out of a room once there's more and i was talking when i was at sinai recently that i was just talking about how they're dealing with everything and how they're getting pushed back and such with a couple of the nurses that i know and um, they said you know we're just until that time we are in and out of the room there's a lot of people coming in to chit chat and getting things started. And once that's going, then we're, you know, then it's cool to have more people in. So then there's less people in and out of the room and exposed to each other. I'm like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. But it really makes a lot of sense to explain that to the client too. So now that I have that piece of information in my hands, the why, I think a lot, it it includes them in that decision-making, includes them in the understanding and it helps them understand that this is supposed to be a positive part of their birth to reduce exposure to each other because they want to keep you safe. They want to keep themselves safe. They want it to feel safe. They don't want people feeling tense. So,
2: yeah. And I mean, I think too, you know, part of the prenatal process is, is to, you know, what to expect, especially in these times of, you know, the complete unknown and, and COVID procedures and things like that, like what that's going to look like. And the reason why they look that way, like hospitals are not just being assholes and trying to, you know, limit somebody being there, they're not doing this for that particular purpose. They're doing it to limit risk. And that that's that's huge, especially when we're talking about someone in a vulnerable position of being in labor and a brand newborn baby. Like we're I, I firmly believe that hospitals are not being assholes by limiting people. I think they're doing it because they have been at the center of this and been in the trenches waist deep in this shit and they want this to end and they want to keep everybody as safe as possible so that you are not now in the ICU you know with covid so that you are safe your partner is safe they are safe and your baby is safe so we got to get over that whole idea Well that. the
0: folks the folks who <clears throat> We're leading the charge. For oh, hospitals are essential, and they're being jerks and violating our human rights by not letting support people into births and so on. You know that whole argument that was carrying, that was raging at the beginning of yeah. um, the original lockdown in 2020. I really feel that that stemmed from that whole mindset of I'm my job is to save b- birth. Yeah, one birth at a time. A lot of, and so if I'm a birth savior, then of course my role is essential. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It all goes together. And if I'm a birth savior, then of course my role is essential. And these institutions are trying to interfere with something that's an essential service. And so therefore we have to fight against them, which fits in with that whole narrative of it's us against the medical community in terms of birth. It's us against. Uh, the doctors the obstetricians the epidurals the all of the medical technology and so on and none of that is true no none of it is true and then the the folks who are on the other side saying nope this is important this is necessary Mm -hmm. i don't feel like i'm a birth savior i am not here to save anybody's birth and i don't have that mindset also then said we need to stop looking at hospitals and doctors and all of these things as enemies and looking put the, putting them in the rightful place mm-hmm. and, and educating people about how things like epidurals, inductions, and all of the other interventions that we know of can be used um, in the way that is justified and necessary because they weren't invented just on somebody's whim. Somebody figured out that they could be helpful in some kind of way. They're too and old. And maybe they've been misused and overused, but that's what we need to put that aside and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak right.
2: exactly mm-hmm. yeah and i mean some of the i think i'm i also saw like some people like well you know this is just like sars and blah 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 and yeah sars lasted like what 10 minutes like that this was not sars this is what we're sitting in now is not sars we're talking mm-hmm. about millions of people around the world having died mm-hmm. so we gotta yeah. we gotta be no, we gotta be sensible and 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 use common sense and take yourself out of the equation
0: exactly yeah I mean not about you and your worth and your value I feel that the value of my work and the worth of the, the support that I give to my clients is worth just as much now as it was before COVID happened and uh, I was in, I was allowed in hospitals and allowed in homes and so on. It's still just as valuable. It's still worthy, but it is not about me. It's no. not about me and my and, and what the doctors think about the services I provide or the hospitals think about. This they're not why am why are we putting ourselves there? And when we go to a prenatal meeting with our clients, why are you putting yourself at the forefront of this discussion? This is not you. So it all links together. So if you have that mindset, when you go to those prenatals, you are going to be putting yourself at the forefront of just the very way you structure. I'm I've changed my document that I send to my clients. I've changed it because I would have something like epidurals. Are you thinking about having an epidural? Are you aware of the risks of an epidural? those were the questions that yeah. I had on my thing. And then we would talk about them, talk about all the risk, all in the, all under the um, category of providing information, people making information, yeah. making decisions with their eyes wide open. Now it's pain medication. What are your thoughts about yeah. pain medication during, it's far more
2: broad. general,
0: it's far yes. more open. It isn't specific anymore, right? And um, even something that I feel so strongly about, strongly against like circumcision for just as an example,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I would say, are you aware, I would, I would the, under the questions I'd say, are you aware that it's no longer covered by OHIP? Question mark. Cause maybe they don't know that. Are you aware that you have to pay out of pocket for it? Are you aware of that? The medical community says there's no medical benefits to circumcision, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> only <Totally> biased. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm not biased at all. No, not biased at all. <laughs> now I say, um, are you interested in speaking about the newborn procedures that are possible? And I don't make mention circumcision at all. Nope. Number one, because it doesn't come up in the hospital unless no. they bring it up. Yeah. Um, and rarely do people say, straight to me, what are your feelings about circumcision? So there's hardly ever an opportunity for me to talk about my personal feelings because they don't matter. That's right. People will ask me like, is it possible for us to have a circumcision done in the hospital? And I will answer that question. Yeah. Here, here's what you do. Yeah. Period. Done. They're not asking me, what do you think about this idea, Suzanne? They're simply asking me a specific question about that thing and that's all exactly right but getting oh, if you, you get so emotionally riled up about something <laughs> it is really difficult it's really hard to not say mm. also while we're on this topic
2: did you know <laughs> did you know all these horrible bad things
0: <laughs> did, did you know by the way <laughs> meanwhile these people usually their eyes glaze over because they don't want to hear that no and they didn't <laughs> see that
2: and I mean, they're talking about you know religious or cultural things that are whatever. Like, exactly. Are you going to literally stand there against their cultural norms, yeah? And you know, or with the religious all the force of, of your information and go, <gasps> I don't care what your
0: 5,000 year old holy book says, this is what I feel <laughs> exactly. Don't do that.
1: Don't do that. I do recommend people when they so? I recently had a client share with me that they are horrified that it's not covered by OHIP any longer
0: oh they're they're horrified that it's not covered by OHIP
1: it It hasn't uh, been covered by
0: OHIP for like fucking 15 years yeah it's been forever since it hasn't been covered
1: they were very upset that it was not covered by OHIP and um and then they they asked me how do I take care of it afterwards I said I'm gonna you know I'm gonna leave that to your research I want you to go look up a video um, what to do when you bring your baby home, because it will just be the two of you, um, to take care of the post-circumcised penis, As I said, because I'm not going to be with you and you'll be bringing your baby home alone. I'm go- not going to see you until the third day. And um, I said, so I'm going to leave that on your plate. Um, and they said, well, where do we go to get it done? I said, well, you have to talk, talk to your doctor first and they'll give you a referral to a doctor who can do it. Because um, not all pediatricians do it. So you kind of need to get that set up. And they were they were they were very upset about a lot of things. They're upset it wasn't covered. They're said that they had to do work for it, that it wasn't automatically done in the hospital.
0: And sorry, yeah, this is I'm not, sure not 1952. 1982, then. <laughs> Pardon me? You should have had your they should have had their baby in 1982. <laughs> that would have been helpful. Seriously. But um yeah. It's not so the way I, it is anymore. It's, no.
2: it's not the way it is anymore. It's what? Now it's by choice. And you actually get to make the decision as to whether you want to do it or not. Like,
0: yeah, now it's choice. It used to be automatic. All boys just had that. That's how it was with my first two boys. So, um, just what you did. That's a good way of, of providing the information that they need without implying
2: that maybe you want to rethink this decision. Just well, give them the, and you know yeah. what? Look, if if it's a client that is going to do this and you are so morally against it and it's just not, this is going, not the client for you. Then then. This is not the client. That's for right. You, you shouldn't and be you working with that client then. 100%. Send them to somebody who
0: can properly support them. Yeah, 100%. Oh, I had
1: another great piece of information. I love when pieces of information pop up for clients that it was, this was at a postpartum, a follow-up meeting instead um, that the client told me that um she wanted to push back our next feeding visit because she was going to take the baby to get the tongue tie released which was really tight at the hospital they had mentioned it came quite close to the front and um her mom had just arrived her mom just arrived in canada and she was at the back of the house and she yelled out oh you had a tongue tie too and and she's like what what are you talking about um and could. This, this parent is 40 years old and this is the first she's ever heard that she had a tongue tie as a baby. She's like, back then, when they looked at your tongue, they just cut it without telling the parents. They would just, it was part of the newborn exam. When you're, after you're born, you, you, know, you go to the table and the doctors check you out and make sure everything's good. And if there was a tongue tie, it was cut right away. It was just like part of the, part of the quick newborn exam. Um,
2: Can you imagine somebody just taking something and snipping your child's tongue without your fucking knowledge? I can't imagine that.
1: Yeah, apparently Mind blown. back in like the 70s when I was born and stuff, if there was a tongue tie, they cut it. But it was just, it, was it nice. wasn't a thing. It was just done. Um, if it was there during, when you were a newborn.
2: Wow, crazy. Yeah. It's, it's 12 o'clock. It's okay. 12 oh,
0: o'clock, do less. Gotta go. I gotta
2: go. All right, uh, thank so... you for joining us. <laughs> yeah. We can wrap this up for you. I'm
0: sitting here and I'm looking through the window and I actually, I think there's a horse over there. Jesus. A horse my, my cousins' next door
2: neighbors. That's hilarious. Sure I, I looked at horse just walk across the window. I was in my yeah. I was in my mom's house one time and I looked out the front window and a horse walked by. She lives in Scarborough. <laughs> there was a mount of police on okay, it. Okay, that would be weird. That would was be a weird. So weird here, it, but,
0: but that would be weird.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah. I was like, um, "Mom, there's a cop on a horse trotting down the street." Oh, it was are a you, cop on a horse? Are you there. where? Like, what the hell? This horse is a non working horse. This is a horse of leisure over there. It's nice. not a horse with a cop on top of them I want to become a horse of leisure in my next life. Can we just do that?
1: <laughs> a horse perfect. of leisure.
2: Or a cat or just, of leisure. I was just told me there's a riding school.
0: So those horses, how dare I say that? Those horses are working.
2: Okay. All right. They're
0: not just being kept.
2: They're working. I'd like to be kept. All right. All right. All right, All right
0: darlings. Gotta go.
2: All right. Bye. 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 All right. So, um, yeah, so we might as well wrap this up.
1: Let's wrap it up. Why don't you tell me who you're...
2: You know, I don't have,
1: are. I don't have a doula. I don't, have, don't have, have a doula out. Well, no. I am going to throw out fabulous Lisa Karen.
2: Oh, yes. There you go.
1: There we Love go. Her. But-
2: Can I just say, So when I became, so Lisa, Karen's been a doula for 8,000 years. Like she's been around a while, not that she's old because I don't think she's my, I think she's my age. Um, but she, when I had my first, um, uh, newborn loss, um, we had to go through the, the process of the labor and things like that. And, and I had sort of back in the Yahoo group days. And I sort of, you know, reached out and said, Hey guys, are there any resources and whatnot that you can offer? Not just the the parent, but for myself as well. Now I had never met her, but I knew of her and she was kind of like on a pedestal, you know, one day when I grow up, I want to be just like her. Well, the phone rang and she called me and I literally felt like Penny Simkin had called me. Okay, this is this is how this is how amazing it was for me. And she said she was like, you know, here she talked to me. We walked through it. Um, I think I cried a little. It was like it was the most amazing sort of reach out that I could have gotten, because I was just looking for like anonymous support. Like I wasn't really looking for somebody to actually, you know, call me. Um, but she picked up, I thought this woman just picked up the phone and she called me to support me. And I'm like flabbergasted. And, and then a few years later when her and Lisa Dorn wrote that book, um, or put that book together, um, uh, bearing witness childbirth stories is told by doulas. Um, she contacted me again, but I actually knew her at this point. We had, we had spoken several times before that. Um, She's like, you should write that story down because I had, one of the things she told me to do was to write it down, like journal and write that stuff down. And, and I did and got published in that book. And it was like, Oh my God, like I'm a published author now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I find her incredible. And I'm in awe of her. And every time I am in her presence, I just want to absorb all the knowledge that she has and just be, she's like somebody you want to be friends with. You know what I mean? Yes,
1: I do. Yes, I do. And that's why we're going for a walk today.
2: There you go. Look at you. <clears throat> there you go. Please tell her I said hi. I will and I, and, I, and I still find her the most awesome human on the planet. All right. Um, so, what the hell are we talking about next week? Let's see. Let us see. No, no, no. Great. No, be slower, phone. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. Oh. When celebrities give birth. Okay. Yeah. I got a little bit of research to do. Yep, we sure do. That should be fun. All right, cool. So I hope everybody stays safe. I hope everybody is still wearing their mask. This thing's not going away. Um do your do your clients proud by decentering yourself from your prenatals. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Have a good one, everybody.
1: Bye, everyone.
2: Bye.